You don't have to be a sports fan in America to know the name Tom Brady. He is, you know him either famous or infamously, um, but he's known, I mean, for a lot of things, but one for being excessively competitive and just having an innate desire to win that. He's willing to go to extreme measures uh, to achieve that goal. I did, uh, so he, he came into the league and nobody drafted in the sixth round. He starts out as a backup. Uh, quarterback, and then he gets his shot in his first season to play. In his first season, he leads his team to the Super Bowl. He's been to 10 Super Bowls in his career, still playing, not as, at as high of a level as he used to, but that's another story. Um, but I, I did a little research, because this stuff fascinates me, of what it takes for a guy like that to keep playing such a physical sport and compete at that level into his mid-40s. Um, so I did, I did the research, and a typical off-season day for Tom Brady in regards to training looks like he sleeps about eight hours, gets up at 5.30, has a pre-workout massage, then he has a 40-minute workout, movement drills, post-workout massage, then he does online brain exercises. I didn't know that was a quarterback thing, but apparently it is. Um, and, then, and then he rests up. In season, he trains harder. But where I really got, what really piqued my interest was his diet. So he avoids all processed foods, no artificial sweeteners, added sugars, trans fats, caffeine, MSG, salt. I'm not going to read it all because it goes on and on. But he, he holds to a very strict diet. And I just thought, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to assume Tom Brady doesn't wake up in the morning and just think about the glories of being gluten-free or non-GMO or whatever. Um, but, but what he does, what he does glory in is his winning. He knows how to win. And in light of that goal, he's willing to go to extreme measures and lay all kinds of things. Many of us um, probably wouldn't be willing to lay aside. But he's willing to because he loves winning that much. And, and when, when held up to the comparison of him wanting to win championships, he's willing to give up everything. I say that um, kind of to introduce what I'm going to be talking about tonight, where we're going to look. We're going to look at Philippians three, and talk about how Paul, um, his his desire to know Christ, to be found in Christ, and he says it a variety of ways, and we'll get into that. But how that desire was um, what drove him to give up many things, and upon the altar of that, he was willing to give up everything. There was nothing that would be a sacrifice too big for Paul in light of knowing Christ and being found in him. I'm going to read real quick a couple verses from Philippians 3, just kind of get us thinking along those lines. We'll pray, and then I'll dive in. So Philippians 3, I'm going to read 7 and 8. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. And Lord, we, we praise you for that you sent your son God and came to earth, and just that we can celebrate that this time of year. Lord, I ask that as we open your word tonight, God, you'll just speak through me in spite of me, that we will... See very clearly what you're trying to tell us in this passage through Paul's example. And God, I pray that 
you'll just work in each and every one of us so that we, God, will be like Paul and willing to lay all things aside for the sake of knowing Christ and being found in his righteousness. We ask that all be done to glorify you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So Philippians 3 um, comes, I mean, leading up to that in the book of Philippians. Philippians is kind of interesting in that, um, unlike some of the books Paul wrote, there's not a common theme that he begins with in the beginning, um, kind of develops throughout, and then concludes at the end of the book. It's more, he's writing, thanking the church at Philippi for their support of his ministry. He's giving a couple updates on where his ministry is at. And he he gives a lot of practical encouragement in the Christian living. So we get to Philippians 3. And the the way I see Philippians 3 is Paul is really just holding himself up in, in a humble way as an example of what it looks like to pursue Christ and follow Christ and just live as all Christians should. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive in. We got three points, which I know is a big shocker because you never hear three-point messages from this pulpit. But uh, uh, we got three points looking at three aspects of Paul's pursuit of Christ. So first, we're going to look at the position. Secondly, the pursuit. And lastly, the priority. So the position. That's going to be, so, excuse me. Verses 3 through 11 is going to be the position. 12 through 14 is the pursuit. And then... Excuse me, 18 through 21, the priority. The position, I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. For we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. We look firstly at the position. Paul, so Paul shows us here that he he was a man who had lived for himself all his life, and and had really achieved everything he wanted to. He was at the top of of his field. He, um, as as you know, as touching the law, he had he had checked all the boxes. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted the church as zealous as they came. There was really no one um, who had achieved many in the church like like Paul had. He had done what he wanted and pursued and accomplished what he set out to do. But we get to verse 7, and after he talks about all the things he had accomplished and all the things he valued and saw as precious, he says, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. When Paul, when Paul came to Christ, and from there it's a, it's a daily struggle, but he realized that in order to gain Christ, 
and know him and be found in him in the fullest possible way, he had to die to self. And he had to lay aside anything that he was pursuing to exalt himself. So obviously when we come to Christ, we, we do that. Like when we become Christians, we're admitting we can't do this on our own. We can't save ourselves. But the real struggle is day to day. Every day we're faced with decisions and choices we make of who are we going to exalt here? Who, who are we going to let be in charge? And who are we seeking to please? And Paul, Paul gets it that to win Christ, you have to die to self. You have to lay aside anything, even if it's, quote, good things, anything that you're doing to exalt yourself or that's not being done through the work of the Spirit. In verse 3, he makes a good point where he says, For we are the circumcision, so we as believers, which worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So as Christians, we can't have confidence in the flesh. You can't be a Christian and have confidence in the flesh or in your works. Uh, he's, I'm going to turn real quick. You don't have to turn there because it's brief. But 1 Corinthians 15.31, Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. No, excuse me. That is not correct. Well, <laughs> it, I don't know what I wrote. But he says, I die daily. So Paul got it. I have to die daily in order that I may win Christ and be found in, found in him. And when we, when we realize and come to grips with the worth and the riches that are found in Christ and the joy of having a full um, and deep relationship with him, the death to self comes naturally because we, we see the end goal. We see what, what is at stake here of us pursuing our pleasures. And when we see that, the value of knowing Christ, the death to self is going to come because we're looking at the prize, and that's what's driving us. Um, yes, and, okay, so verse 8. I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Well, what's he saying? He's saying, he's like, I want to know Christ in the richest, deepest, fullest way possible. That's my one driving passion in life. And upon that altar, I'm willing to lay everything it will cost me so that I may know him in a rich and powerful way. Um, okay, so quick thing. If Joel gets in front of people and doesn't quote John Piper, something's wrong with him that, that way. So here's the first John Piper quote I'm going to insert here. Um, but John Piper unpacks, I listened to his kind of expose on this passage, and he unpacks what, what like Paul means by the knowing of Christ. And what he says, he says, this knowing is a tasting and experiencing by, by saying, I want to know his power. I want to know the fellowship and partnership of his sufferings. I want to become like him. That's the kind of knowing we ought to want. Not just about Christ that you can learn from books, but to know Christ by standing with Christ in his power, by sharing in his sufferings, by becoming like him in his death. If you um, jump down to verse 10, Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, me made conformable unto his death. Well, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of, her, of his sufferings are all common culminations of us knowing him. When we are resurrected with Christ, that is the culmination of our knowledge of him. So by way of application um, on this point, I just want to ask you, who are you living to exalt? 
who, with the decisions we make, the things we pursue, who, who are we living to exalt and who are we trying to lift high in our lives? Paul understood that to win Christ means dying to self daily. Second point, the pursuit. This is verses 12 through 14. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that, I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, uh, like I said in this chapter, Paul, Paul is holding himself up an example to the church. But, but as, um, as far as Paul had made it in his walk with Christ, as deeply as he knew Christ, he understood that we, we will never fully grasp the depths um, of knowing Christ until, until eternity. So Paul, he's making it very clear. He's like, I don't care how far I get. I don't care what I accomplish. I don't see myself as arrived. And I won't until we're called home, until he's called home. He does not consider himself to have arrived. And when we realize the depth and the riches to be found in Christ, we, we will think the same thing, that no matter how close our relationship with Christ is and how, how um, sweet our communion with him, we will understand and know that we're not there yet and we, we have not apprehended, as Paul says. Um, yeah, and apprehended here, has to do with um, the root word is like take hold of, to seize or lay, um, take hold of, to have possession of. So that's what Paul means, apprehended. I kind of want to, I have two subpoints under the pursuit. So the first one is never growing content. I want to look at verse 12. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after. If that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. The the grace for us to pursue and lay hold of Christ comes from him first laying hold of us. And Paul is saying, I pursue Christ so that I may lay hold of him, and that's enabled by him laying hold of me. And he, when he apprehended me and he laid hold of me, he filled me with a grace where I can pursue him and seek to know him and lay hold of him in a deep and rich way. And then verse 13 He's, I mean, very simply, Paul's just saying, I, I haven't arrived. I don't count myself to have arrived. I forget what's behind me. I just keep pressing on to what's ahead because he knows there's always more to be gained. And then the second sub-point under the position is pressing towards the mark, verses 13 and 14. What, what drove Paul? What, what was it that Paul woke up in the morning? He's like, this is, this is what I'm pursuing today. When I run today, this is why I do it. When I lay things aside today, this is why I do it. And he makes it very clear throughout this chapter, but in verses 13 and 14, that, this, that the desire to know Christ in a deep and personal way, an intimate way, is what drove Paul to do everything. Um, once again, John Piper kind of paraphrased it um, in saying what Paul's, Speaking here, he says, I have one great unified reason for living, undistracted pursuit of the fullness of Christ and the upward calling of God. 
And the one thing mean, means I devote my life to attaining the fullest possible experience of Christ imaginable forever. Paul lived, breathed, and ultimately died to know Christ. Everything he did was, was for that goal, and everything he laid aside was for that goal, so that he might know Christ. And, and when you, and what I see here is, when, as Paul, especially in verse 14, where he says, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, Paul knows what he's after, and he knows what he's attaining. And because of that, the sacrifices he makes aren't, he doesn't see them as sacrifices. We see that throughout a, a lot of his epistles and in this book that he talks about the struggles, and we'll look at a couple of those verses here in a minute, but he talks about the struggles he went through and the things he endured. But he was after that prize, and in order to win that prize, he didn't see these as sacrifices, but of all things that um, exalted Christ and brought glory to Christ and enabled him to run and win the prize. Um, I, I, uh, the, so the Bible Project, they're an organization that kind of does like overviews of books of the Bible and um, just a good study tool that I used a little bit. And they said, to notice Paul's train of thought. Oh, wait, excuse me. Okay, first, Philippians 1. We're going to go to a couple cross-references just kind of to show and reinforce Paul's goal and driving reason for doing things. Philippians 1, 12 through 14. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's saying, all the things I endured, everything I went through, he's like, he, they fell out to the furthering of the gospel, and therefore I, I rejoice. And I don't see these as bad things that happened unto me. And then later in the chapter, um, verse 20, Philippians 1.20, According to my expect, earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So what, um, what I, the research I did in the Bible Project said about that verse is, notice Paul's train of thought. Dying for Jesus is not the true sacrifice. Rather, it's staying alive to save others. That's the true sacrifice. Verse 21, Paul, Paul wants to die. He wants to go be, be with Jesus and wants to go spend eternity with him. But he's like, if me staying alive is going to further the gospel, then I guess I'll do it. I guess, I guess I'll hold out and wait behind and wait, wait to be with Jesus. But what an what a outlook on life to, to love Jesus that much that that sacrifice to you is staying alive to serve him. And, and the death is what he desires because he wants to be with his Lord and Savior. Um, so to kind of wrap up those two points, I just want to ask, what are you pursuing? And day to day, the decisions you're making, what do they say about your pursuits? Um, as I've thought about this, Paul Washer had a really good quote about just what our motives are why we do what we do. He says, the life you live, is it for God? Is it really for God? If we were to open the heart chamber that holds the motivation, would we see that you are really, 
that you really are doing what you do for God or is it all about you in God's name? And that's, that's been so helpful for me as I think through things. And I think, I'm, I confess, that I've done a lot in my life for me in God's name. But I just, I just challenge you tonight to, to really think about, like, what are you pursuing? And who are you doing it for? So that says a lot um, about your goals and priorities in life. We looked at the position, the pursuit, and finally we get to the priority. That's going to be in verses 18 through 21. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Um, first, I just want a quick note I want to look at. In verse 19, he says of those whose end is destruction, the last thing he said is they mind earthly things. So in the contrast of that, those whose end is not destruction, we, we who uh, follow Christ, we, sh- we should mind heavenly things. We should never be found, found minding the earthly things because our citizenship isn't here. Like, like verse 21, 20 and 21 say, our conversation, or our, our citizenship is not here on this earth, but it's in heaven. And, that, and that's why Paul was willing to give up everything to know Christ and serve him because he knew this wasn't our home. So the struggles he went through and the things he endured he took him because this wasn't our home. He was investing in eternity where he will be forever and where we will be forever if we um, claim the name of Christ. Verse, uh, verse 21, when he says, Who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. I think that is the culmination, and I touched on this earlier, of knowing him. Like, our knowledge of him will be complete when we stand face-to-face with him and we are exalted with him and our bodies have been changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. That will be the, the result and culmination of our knowledge of him. So what? Eternity is coming. It's this life, then eternity. And Paul understood that this wasn't our home. And it's not worth investing in the things here. And he, he gave up the civilian pursuits of this life to pursue a knowledge of Christ and spending eternity of him. Any seeds that are sown here that don't bear eternal fruit will fade away. They'll fade away. I want to flip real quick to 1 Peter 1. And read First Peter 1, 7. First Peter 1, 7. That the trial of your faith be much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. How, how are our works going to last? The things we invested in, 
the things we spend our time doing, the things we pursue, how are they going to last? When they are tried by fire, are they going to last? Are they going to last? Did we spend our time pursuing the things of earth or the things of heaven where our citizenship is? And um, Philippians, excuse me, Hebrews 11.13 says when it's going through the hall of faith, it says of those people that they, I'm going to read it because I don't want to say it wrong. It's an important statement. Um, Hebrews 11.13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Do we see ourselves as pilgrims and strangers here? Like, do we? I know, I know for me, it's very easy to get comfortable here and really enjoy life. And there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. But this isn't our home, and we are strangers here. And that's how we should be living, is not getting comfortable here, but pursuing the things that are above and that will last in eternity. So we looked at Paul's position, that he was humble before God and saw his life for what it was, was willing to lay aside personal ambitions to pursue Christ. And we saw the pursuit, how Paul never grew content, and the mark that he pressed towards. And then it culminated with the priority of eternity. I want to, as we start to wind down a little bit, want to just pose a couple questions that we can think about. So what about us? We looked at how Paul lived, and I, I just want you to think about, as, as we saw, what drove Paul and what he did. Like, how are you doing? And if we hold ourselves up as an example next to Paul, how are we doing? What needs to be laid aside in our life so that we, without hindrance, can pursue Christ? What are, what are the things we're pursuing, whether they're good or bad, but if we're pursuing them for our own gain, what are the things we're pursuing that are hindering and damaging our pursuit of Christ? Who are we living to exalt? Who are we living to exalt? And then are we living as if this isn't our home? Because it's not. There's not a sacrifice we'll make on earth for the sake of Christ that will not be worth it and rewarded when we stand before the throne of God. It will all be worth it. When, when we stand before God, he looks us in the eye and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of eternal life. It, it will all be worth it. And everything that we gave up Will, will quickly fade away and will seem as nothing because we will have run the race well and completed it well. I want to close with a John Piper quote. He says, God seldom calls us to an easier life, but always calls us to know more of him and drink more deeply of his sustaining grace. May your vision get its meaning from God's great purpose. May the cross of Christ be your only boast, and may you say with sweet confidence to live as Christ and to die as gain.